0: This going to be the September sixteenth, two 2012 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is my first pre-recorded podcast. It's the podcast that's devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, objectivism. The special episode that we have today is an interview with Leonard Peikoff. He is the author of the recently released book, The Dim Hypothesis. Why the Lights of the West Are Going Out. It was just released on September 4th, and if you want to get it, there's going to be a link at my blog, com, at the post for this particular show. And, of course, you can also find the link at Leonard Peikoff's website, which is Peikoff.com, P as in Peter, com. Uh Leonard, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, fine. Thank you for having me. Okay,
0: so I want to start out just by getting out on the table the general premise of the book. And in the book, you talk about the ability to analyze a culture and make predictions about the direction in which a culture is going based on identifying the culture's predominant epistemological process. Now, this is my language. I'm not quoting you. So you can tell me if I if I mess up here. But in other words, you're talking about the process by which... The culture, as a whole, generally obtains knowledge—not necessarily its substantive conclusions, but the processes that the people use in reaching their conclusions. And I want, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. No, jump in. Ahead.
1: I wouldn't put it to quite that narrowly. You're making it a cognitive issue of how people reach conclusions. That's, that's a part of it, but I'm talking about. Any uh, creative human activity, whether they're pursuing knowledge uh writing uh fiction and just imagining uh information uh putting together laws into a constitution, uh putting together experiments into a physical theory uh so some of that is cognition and some of that is not its is imagination. Some is just organization of what's already known, so it's broader than that. What the common denominator is the process of integration, of which I've just given examples, putting things together, which is the essence of the human uh, mind, the essence of human consciousness. Uh, that's called integration, which I symbolize by I. Uh, and I say that that is the fundamental process of the human mind in all of its activities, intellectual or existential. Uh, and then I say that there are three possible ways to perform this process, and only three. Integration, meaning uh, rational integration, integration based on facts of reality and, and uh, logic, the evidence of the senses. That's what I call I. Mm-hmm. Then there is integration, which is not based on sensory observation and logic, but on some uh, form of connection other than that, usually God, but not necessarily God. That's what I call misintegration, and I symbolize that by by. M, uh, then what is left is the people who oppose integration, whose approach to, to all phenomena is to tear, tear things apart, to stop things from being integrated, to produce, to produce the opposite uh, of integration. And that, and that is actually nihilism, the desire to destroy it. The only way you can destroy a human achievement is to tear it apart. Uh, and uh, that is what I symbolize by D. So D-I-M, the letters are in no uh, order other than ease of pronunciation, uh, stands for those three uh, uh, forms, or um, I call it modes, modes of thought. And then what I do is trace, uh, I take four subjects, uh, literature, physics, education, and politics and trace what is the dominant mode of thought operative in uh, successive cultures from Greece, Rome, medieval period, all the way on up to the present, uh, and then try to discover what are the patterns and what they imply for the future. That's in essence.
0: Okay, now uh, so then, just to rephrase part of my question before the content of these various cultural products, whether it's actually you know reaching epistemological conclusions or you know make creating a work of art, et cetera, it's not the content that you're looking at, but the way in which the mind is creating
1: these. Yeah, the mode of integration, right? Right? uh, Whether uh, it comes up with. uh, uh, you know, uh, for instance, I think the Soviet literature and medieval literature, Soviet propaganda and medieval uh, morality plays, they're diametrically opposite in content, but they have the same mode of integration. Uh, so uh, they're, they're both uh, misintegration. Uh, and in that way, the, the uh, content uh, is, is not the issue. Uh, and, not at all the issue. And in, in it's a mode of thought.
0: Okay. And and then you talk about the four different fields that you survey. Why did you choose the four fields that you did, physics, well, and literature, and education, and politics?
1: Uh, you know, ideally I would have written an encyclopedia, but then it would have been impossible to keep the whole history Uh, in one's mind at the same time, so I I had to restrict myself to uh, a handful of subjects that I thought would be representative. Uh, Art and science are obviously two crucial uh, elements of a culture. That's basically, between them, that's the essence of a university, uh, general university education, and those are uh, most cases pursued by an individual. So they would, uh, if I take one from each, that would give us an insight into the way creators on an individual level function. Uh, So, of course, from from, uh, art I took literature because it is the clearest way to know what mode of thought goes into it because it is all linguistic. So you can find out easily, objectively, what it is that is going on, whereas in a painting or a piece of music, much more difficult to give an objective account. Uh, I also think literature happens to be much more influential than any other art, culturally influential. Uh, <clears throat> physics, because it is the fundamental science. It is the science on which all other sciences uh, rest. Uh, And therefore, you know, it would be ridiculous to take uh, uh, chemistry or uh, astronomy or something. Uh, Physics is is what you have to take if you want. A culture's uh, approach to uh, thinking about uh, the physical world. Now, (coughs) having looked at two fields that are governed by uh, individual creators, I wanted to (coughs) look at two which represented big, influential social institutions, uh, to give me another aspect of the culture. If you think about it, there's really only two that uh, affect everybody uh, profoundly. uh, In all social institutions, the only ones are your schooling, your education, And the government. Everything else has become much less uh, influence, much less indicative of the Mm -hmm. culture. So I put those two, uh, and I got four. And that's basically all that a book could cover. I'm trying to take an overview of the whole of history from Greece to the present from the point of view of the mode of thought. You can, if I have three modes of thought and six subcultures and four subjects, you can just imagine a number of combinations. It would be overloaded. No mind, including mine, could hold it if I start multiplying. And I don't think that's necessary. Uh, if anybody reads the book, they'll see that the same method can be applied easily to many other uh, areas.
0: I mean, that was one thing I would want to ask you is how you were able to do that tour de force of surveying all of those different cultural areas throughout all of those eras in human history. How, how did you do that? I mean, Obama would say you you couldn't have done that. You didn't build that. It must have been somebody else who did it, right?
1: He would say that if I wrote my name. I mean, so, <laughs> you know, I don't think his, uh, his uh, incredulity is of uh, much... Uh, uh, value I did not set out to do that and uh, if I had understood what my thesis entailed, it was possible. I never would have even started the book. I started out really in my very first idea of uh discussing only the twentieth century, and then I got more the idea that there was a development. Uh, of these same processes from the time of the Renaissance on. It it never entered my mind as I was doing the later, nearer centuries that anything more would be required. And then uh, when I, you know, finished my drafts uh, of the modern part from the Renaissance on, I realized that by nature of the claims I was making, uh, there was a huge omission if I didn't do anything with the ancient and medieval period, which is in many ways so different uh, from ours that it was like generalizing about uh, human history while ignoring our uh, Western history, while ignoring, uh, you know, a huge part of it. So, uh, very reluctantly, I dragged myself back. Degrees and started over again. <clears throat> um, uh, finally, then it caught up again to uh, the Renaissance and ended with one, uh, you know, continuous uh, narrative. So, but uh, I did not undertake this complex uh, task. It just now, grew.
0: <laughs> which of which of the fields, and if you want to specify by era, which era was the most difficult for you? To work on and grasp. I know that you did get some help uh, from Dave Harriman and some other people on on some of the subject I had areas. I got a
1: lot of help from Dave Harriman in physics. It would have been impossible uh, for me to uh, even consider including physics without him. I mean, he's a <clears throat> professional physicist, and uh, you know, I'm a I am or was <clears throat> a uh, philosopher. So I had, you know, some grad school uh, courses in physics, but and nothing to speak of. Now you wanted to know what what field I found most most difficult. Right. Well, if you leave aside physics, which I was really heavily uh, guided by uh, by Dave Harriman, so in that sense it was the easiest part. I had no real problems with literature. Or education. <clears throat> Surprisingly, the field of politics <clears throat> had uh, gave me the greatest uh, difficulty.
0: Now, why is that? Because we all think, oh, politics—you know—that's kind of a lower-level subject. It's certainly not abstract philosophy. Why politics?
1: Well, I could classify or describe what the uh, essence is of the various. Uh, you know, political systems, and some I was clear what was uh, what the attitude to integration was that they represented. But some it took me a while to work through what exactly is the approach uh, that is being used here. It's it's not always uh, self-evident, and occasionally <clears throat> it's the exact opposite of what many of the spokesmen say. You know, in the form uh, that uh, uh, communist uh, uh, dictators used to say uh, they were liberating people and they were great champions of freedom, uh, when, in fact, uh, they were the opposite. So you have to be careful as to what a political system really is. And uh, you have to be prepared for uh, similarities Where uh, you would not uh, expect them, especially because we're taking uh, the content aside. We're abstracting the method. Mm -hmm. Now, just to give you an example Uh, Greece, ancient Greece, was a democracy, unlimited uh, majority rule. And uh, jumping out of the Enlightenment, the American Founding Fathers. they champion capitalism uh uh absolute individual rights which uh which no one uh, could uh properly uh violate including a majority so you'd have to say uh, on the face of it these are two very different uh, political systems right uh, now they certainly are and uh, uh, democracy, I would argue, had to go the way it did in the ancient world because it's an inherently profoundly uh, flawed uh, uh, system. Whereas the American system uh, didn't have to go the way it did, even though it, uh, it did. But now, despite that, if you look at the way the Greeks reached the conclusion. Mm-hmm. That democracy was the proper system. It was the same essential mode of integration as the founding fathers. Right. The Greeks, the Greeks had less information. They did not have the spectacle of, of history to know what were the consequences uh, of certain ideas. Uh, they were in a, a special context. You know, the city state relatively small, where it never occurred to them, since they were all more or less uh, related or familiar with each other, uh, that uh, uh, negative consequences uh, uh, could come uh, from democracy. But uh, leaving that aside, um, they, they defended their approach, and I give the I show you that in detail uh, in uh, the book. They defended uh, their approach by reference to observation. What other states, what were the results of the other states that they were uh, able to observe? And uh, they, they, they argued as much as they could for uh, objective truth. Uh, they, they said, although um, uh, um, democracy is how we determine uh, the laws, it does not mean that the majority is correct. There are objective laws based on reality and discoverable by observation, and a majority is wrong if it uh, violates these laws. We still right. they said, have to let the majority make the decision, but it's not the standard of truth. So in that and many other ways, they were just as reality-oriented. There was no reference to uh, the divine uh, as uh, the, the basis of uh, their political system or their laws, uh, uh in that way, I hope you get the idea, but <clears throat> I'm just giving it to you briefly, but two uh, politics that look to be very different have uh, uh, the very same mode uh, of integration. Now, I, wish, uh, I, uh,
0: I was going to say, I wish we could be charitable and say that the people today who call United States a democracy – are making, you know, that mistake because our original founding was come at, you know, through a process of proper integration. But unfortunately, we can't say that. People, you know, they misname America's system of democracy all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, does that answer?
0: Yes. The the reason
1: that politics is most difficult, uh, some of us, some of it I had to. I had to discover. Uh, I'll have to just give you this as an arbitrary statement, which is discussed in the book, that Karl Marx, you know, who calls himself a dialectical materialist, and stresses that he is uh, secular uh, uh, and this worldly, empirical, and scientific. I had to uh, analyze. His work, specifically his mode of thought, Mm -hmm. and demonstrates from that that whatever he calls himself, he is, in fact, the same as as Hegel in mode of integration. He's an idealist and a rationalist, uh, a a supernaturalist and a, a, a rationalist, and in that way, he is, uh, and the system he advocated is the same mode of integration as the medieval uh, uh, Christianity uh, with uh, uh, the Pope being the top uh, omnipotent and infallible and, uh, you know, the communist uh, Stalin or, or whichever uh, being that. But you have to work, I have to work that out. It's not, it's not self-evident. I think it's clear and true but uh, uh, for some reason it was politics was harder uh, to uh, to organize in my mind than, than the other subject.
0: In terms of your personal learning, I mean now what you've just described this going through the process of trying to figure out what's going on in politics, that must have been a tremendous learning process itself. What was the most maybe important or interesting or fun revelation for you in terms of applying your <clears throat> mode of analysis, your method of analysis, to all the different subject matters of all the different areas. Was there something that stood out for you?
1: Well, by fun, it was all excruciating work, so there was not one in which I laughed or had a drink, maybe just for despair at the end of that, so I, I, don't, I didn't have any fun that I can see. Um, two, if uh, you say that, I, I'm not sure this is a fully thought out answer, but two different things uh, <clears throat> um, spring out at me. <clears throat> um, I was, of course, completely hostile to uh, the Obama uh, movement, <clears throat> uh, and. It was only in writing out clearly what its uh, mode of integration is uh, that I got some satisfaction that I have uh, finally uh, expressed uh, uh, my, my view of it uh, in, in a way that definitively states uh, what I think and gives uh, the basis. and. It's not just an arbitrary diatribe because it's integrated to the whole rest of the book. I think of every movement and every field that, um, that I did, uh, I would say that the, the current American approach is the worst uh, throughout history. And uh, uh, um, the name of that approach is egalitarianism. I argue that egalitarianism, uh, you know, everybody must be equal, Mm -hmm. and and only ever has been achieved uh, by cutting down the haves in order to uh, uh, allegedly benefit the have-nots. But since the haves are the only ones that kept the have-nots going, uh, the result is that cutting down of everyone, and that egalitarianism, therefore, is out-and-out nihilism. Right. Out-and-out destruction uh, for uh, its own sake. Uh, I give lots of uh, examples and and quotes of that, and I was happy to expose that and to show that the whole environmentalist movement is just one aspect of uh, egalitarianism. And that our whole culture is rotting, uh, po- the whole political side of it is rotting from uh, that kind of nihilism. And by the way, for what it's worth, the publisher asked me to write an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal outlining you know, m- my views to get people interested in them. So I put in some material, not all, but just a few paragraphs on uh, Obama. Being a nihilist, right. and that it was wrong to call him a socialist, and uh, I don't know what the reason is, but they declined to publish the article. It was a criticism of his that was not the, the expected, uh, uh, you know, Republican approach. The other right. one, the other one, um, and this is a, was a positive experience. Uh, uh, when I finished Greece and got to Rome <clears throat> Roman literature <clears throat> I knew that uh, the writer that had to be considered was Virgil because he was, you know, far and away the the soul of Rome he was to Rome what Homer was to Greece. <clears throat> and I was nervous because my approach to integration Required that the Aeneid, his famous epic, have certain definite characteristics. It had to be distinguished uh, in certain ways from the predecessors and the successors, but not in the obvious ways, in the ways of mode of integration. And uh, <clears throat> so I had, I, I had to predict, I had to list. I never read the Aeneid. <clears throat> I had to list the points that had to be in there for my. Theory to be valid, and if it wasn't valid, then that would raise a big question. If there's a big chunk of human history, uh, you know, which which, uh, uh, invalidates my my thesis, then I don't know where I'm going to be. So I read it with uh, some trepidation, marking in the you know in the margin whatever I found. And then added it all up at the end, and truly every single point, without exception on my list, was there unequivocally. Uh, It was just exactly what it would have to be, I mean, from the point of view of mode of integration, if my theory were correct. I was totally elated at that because I figured if I've come up with a theory that can predict how Virgil uh, is going to write, I definitely have something. So that was my most, uh, if you call it, fun. Most fun. Happy.
0: And and you still... My happiest. Theory. I was, was going to say, you still wouldn't concede it's fun then, right? The pardon? You still wouldn't concede that it was fun, even
1: that. Well, that was. That was exciting. That definitely was, was even more than fun. That's the, I think the one point I remember where I really got some pleasure <clears throat> out of it. So the, but it was because the theory had... Such strong confirmation from that. Right.
0: And it, and it's also the discovery of your theory having so much power to it. It's not the writing of that point that was fun. It was the learning that you were correct that was fun, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, okay.
0: So let's, uh, let's switch a little bit to the U.S. today. You've already said that in terms of politics today, we have egalitarian nihilism, which, in the terminology of your book, you would call D two the, the the yeah. pure the pure form of disintegration. What about uh, in, in brief the other cultural fields?
1: What do you mean today?
0: Yes, U.S. today. When uh, the
1: uh,
0: U.S. U.S. in twentieth no. century, early twenty first.
1: In terms of the establishment culture, because I I make the point that there's the establishment culture and then there's uh, what I think of as a uh, a rebellion uh, against it Mm -hmm. in the process of uh, working itself up, uh, namely the the Christian right, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is going to ultimately win out over today. But it is now uh not the uh dominant culture. Well <clears throat> in essence uh, I don't want to give a long speech about each of these <clears throat> the modern culture uh now would be in literature non objectivity. <clears throat> in other words what's called quote modern art Our James Joyce, Gertrude Stein <clears throat> uh et cetera, Uh, That is nihilism in the sense of taking uh, the standard classical approach to literature, the approach that was used no matter what else was changed, uh, the elements from uh, from Greece on and ripping it apart, like Mm -hmm. no more connection between events, no events, no more structure, character, no characters, uh, no more... uh, Organized sentences, word salads, etc. That is just simply uh, nihilism in art. Uh, Another example is the whole history uh, from another aspect of art, uh, the whole history of uh, uh, art or painting has been the attempt to create some kind of image. the modern art, like you, exemplified by Jason Pollock, who just stands across the room and throws, uh, throws uh, uh, gobs of paint on the wall, on the canvas. Now, that is, that is disintegration as an it end in itself. The virtue of that piece, according to the modernists, is that there is no relation between those pieces. They don't, they're not supposed to mean anything or connect to anything or, and relate to each other. They're just arbitrary blobs. Uh, and, of course, that's, that's the way they write, too. Now, that is real uh, uh, disintegration. Now, <clears throat> in physics, <clears throat> there are a, a lot of different approaches today <clears throat> which are not uh, all disintegration. But what I take as disintegration, D2, <coughs> in physics of quantum mechanics, uh, <coughs> as I show, as uh, Dave uh, <coughs> helped me to <coughs> show, that is a m it is a methodical. Uh, Heisenberg and, and, and Bohr is a methodical assault on causality, logic, uh, <coughs> reality, uh, it, uh, you know the famous Schrodinger experiment right. a cat, a cat is a, a put in a box and it's set up as such that you don't know whether uh, uh, what is it, some ke- chemical is released or not, and if the cat is released, if the chemical is released, the cat is dead, and if not, not, it's something like that. Right. And uh, their view, their official scientific view is that when the cat is in the box, under those conditions, it is, and it is not dead, and it neither is nor is not dead. Uh, it, becomes, uh, it becomes one of those only when we uh, perceive it. And uh, they call this uh, a miracle. That's their official name for it, that you open the box and all these state, uh, contradictory states uh, collapse uh, into uh into something. You know you could just add it all up by this. After all these studies uh of the subatomic world a <clears throat> Boyle was asked well what did you finally learn about uh uh the the atoms? And his answer was there are no atoms. Or there are mm-hmm. no there's no subatomic world, so <clears throat> it, is, it is just uh, to physics what uh, what uh, non-objective pain, uh, literature uh, is to writing. <clears throat> and then uh, the, the other one, D <clears> two <throat> in education is doing, progressivism <clears throat> in education. You know, which says uh, <clears throat> we learn by doing, not by thinking, and so <clears throat> the no more uh, classes, uh, textbooks, uh, teachers, uh, no direction by adults. Children are supposed to be just uh, let loose and, uh, you know, perform their court experiments as they wish. There are no more subject divisions. Kids look up or find out at any point at random uh, that they want. Uh, no no discipline, uh, etc. So obviously the kids uh, don't learn by this method. uh, And uh, Dewey is once told, you know, you've given up teaching and you've given up learning. And his answer, which I quote in the book, I I can't quote from memory, was uh, uh, there is little social value to be gained by mere individual uh, learning. So, I mean, that's the the revolution in uh, literature. There's no literature uh, in physics. That there's nothing for physics to, to study in uh, in education. That there is no teaching or learning, uh, and uh, in politics, it's so much from so opposite from being protecting individual rights it's a mass slaughter of the individual right right so
0: <clears throat> basically it in today the establishment culture is D2 across the board
1: yes absolutely yeah. and there are little pockets here and there uh like string theory it is a reversion to old more old fashioned rationalism okay uh what's left of einstein that hasn't been absorbed into in other fields was was again a, a more old fashioned view. Uh so you know there's always there can be some talking, but the dominant uh approach is what i said. And this has never uh existed before. And, and first of all i i i uh define three philosophers plato aristotle and kant as being the source of these three attitudes, and the D approach, well, started with Kant in the 18th century. So there never was a D culture uh, before uh, Kant. It started only in the 19th century and reached its full blossoming in the 20th. So there never has been a society like this, and ours is, you know, relatively recent uh, uh, that it started. It only got into politics. Um, maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago, you know, with all the po- political correctness uh, and environmentalism, was the start of, of the movement.
0: What I what I liked one of the formulations in the book is when you talked about Kant appealing to rage, and yes. I, I connected that with what I watch when I watch Obama speak. He Seems to me often, especially when he's speaking about businessmen and bankers, that he is containing rage. He's trying to control himself from expressing rage more than he does. I mean, obviously, I I, I think that he is expressing rage, but he seems like he's just—he's got so much within him he can't contain it. And so when you see the influence of Kant to create an Obama. I, you you see it clearly. if you I mean, I don't know if you watch his speeches. It's very hard to do, but occasionally I watch. And well, I have
1: just seen sort of clips here, but The thing that struck me, you know, a, a socialist would denounce the rich while presenting a vision, you know, of, of the poor and how desperate they are and how they're going to transform human nature and bring about, you know, a world of perfect uh, you know, harmony. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to kill the exploiters, but the focus is going to be on, you know, the glory to come. He doesn't. Mean other peep about that. He just makes a few perfunctory uh, remarks uh, about uh, this will help the people who don't have insurance. But he's really interested in knocking down the insurance company. That's, that's uh, when he uh, comes to life. So uh, I think his. What interests him is clear. Right.
0: Now, in in the book, you actually predict, though. I mean, you know, these nihilists are terrible. They are destroying values left and right to the extent that they can. And in the book, nonetheless, you predict that what is going to take over and what is going to cause, you know, the most harm to us in the long term is an M two, a misintegration culture now you say it's not absolutely certain that this is going to happen it could take a number of decades etc but uh, one of the things i was interested in is that you say that there is a trigger event that is going to perhaps happen and then allow a charismatic m2 a charismatic misintegrator to take over would that trigger event be the economic destruction that someone like an Obama has wrought or could it be the, the sort of thing that maybe is starting now in the Middle East because of his destructive foreign policy
1: you, you're you, amazing. I wrote a whole section on the fact that a triggering event could be one or more and then I listed examples from right. politics, economics, foreign policy you know, so it, it could be a combination uh, of all of it. You know, uh, for example, suppose uh, in the name of equality, uh, he would have that the Koran, had to be in, in every hotel room next to the Gideon Bible. Right. You know, I think that uh, uh, that would cause a big enraged, uh, and if you, if you combine that with, you know, the... Uh, Economic disasters, which are inescapable now, there's no way for anyone uh, to to prevent the economic disasters, given uh, the deficits uh, and uh, the out of control spending, which they they are not going to be able to control, without abandoning the welfare state, which they t- it can't and won't do. So uh, it's going to be crises that make 1929 look. <clears throat> like pleasant by comparison, and then there's the foreign uh triggers uh, uh pretty clear that Obama is going to appease uh to the end uh, uh and give in to what, whatever these many of these uh, hostile countries want as he's just uh, he sanctions it and, and at the same time he is uh, he's hostile toward uh, Israel, for example, who is a friend, uh, but it's pretty clear that at some point uh, he's going to give uh, too much of uh, America away uh, in terms of America's standing. Now, I guess it's conceivable that people will just simply let it all happen and throw up their hands and be beaten into the ground into serfs without protest. I think. I guess that's barely possible. But I don't really consider that an actual uh, possibility, Uh, not not of any significance, because after all, we're still civilized. We're still able on on some level to uh, observe uh, and evaluate. And there is already a very broad movement which has a a strong uh, viewpoint, uh, a complete ideology or a complete philosophy dictating their actions. And uh, Obama and that whole crowd, by by contrast, uh, not only has no philosophy, they proudly have no philosophy. If you ask them, you know, what is the long-range state of the world that you're aiming for, they say, we don't have utopian goals. We deal with today's problem today. So they offer people nothing in the form of hope, and Christianity, whether you like it or not, offers them a whole way of life and a hope. Therefore, to me, it seems obvious that the worse we get under nihilism, the stronger Christianity is going to get, and there's no other uh, force. And at some point, I'd give it up to 50 years, but it's probably not that long. At some point, the the disasters of life uh, uh, are going to reach the stage where there will be a rebellion. At least I can't – it's hard to imagine that that wouldn't happen.
0: Now, why wouldn't we, even if we elect – some christians say into into office why wouldn't we continue the long standing united states policy of the separation of church and state why wouldn't that be a block to the m2 because, taking over here
1: because uh, uh first of all by the time that happens we'll be more or less a dictatorship uh established by the uh by the by the left that will be an established form Uh, of uh, government and uh, the the left propaganda will have been institutionalized and mandated and if there is a a revolution uh, the first thing they're going to do they're not going to go back and say uh, let's go back to the enlightenment with individual rights because these fundamentalist Christians are ridiculous the the enlightenment is, is simply an invalid error to them so they're going to come and say, uh, "We are, are going to throw you out and mandate our ideology because yours is immoral, yours is ungodly, etc., etc." There are no groups left, major groups left, who uh, who uphold individual rights. There's only t- different ways of, of of attacking them, and who is going to end up? Uh, I I think. You can say separation of church and state by the time this happens. That will be considered uh, an impious statement.
0: Okay. So in terms of what could actually prevent the M2 from taking over our culture, in the book you discuss that the American sense of life could do it, and, of course, the influence of an I philosophy of proper integrative uh, philosophy, which in the ancient world was Aristotle, and today is Ayn Rand's philosophy, of course. Uh, in terms of the American sense of life, would you say that the enthusiasm that people have over computer technology? So, for example, uh, Apple. Mm-hmm. Apple had a big announcement today. I haven't even seen what it is yet, but you know, new products announced by Apple cause a huge stir everywhere, and everyone is is excited about it
1: a huge stir everywhere and everyone. Give me some approximate numbers. How many people do you think are, are involved in this huge stir?
0: <clears throat> I mean, I think millions of people buy iPhones, so they're enthusiastic Millions of that. people,
1: and there's hundreds of millions in the country. True, true. And, um, millions of, and millions of people who are excited about a piece of technology are not necessarily at all people who are Embrace the philosophic underpinnings of, the, of technology. And okay, entirely different things.
0: So yeah. that that yeah. you would count as pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things.
1: Yeah, it's. A, it's I think it's goodies. It's it's a, it's the a last the uh, last reward of Western civilization. Uh, but uh, you know, it doesn't uh, it doesn't indicate. I don't. Is there any country? Uh, except, you know, total cannibals Who wouldn't get excited if you gave them a whole bunch of Technology that worked I mean, if they had enough education to use it mm-hmm. I don't I don't,
0: I okay. don't think that
1: that's Americans uh, what, 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 about,
0: what about the whole you didn't build that Movement that has happened now I mean, the uproar at our president Saying to businessmen Whether he's misspoke a little bit or not You know, this is really I mean, what he I thinks
1: misspoke. That is absolutely essential To egalitarianism the, founding, the modern founder was John Rawls, and Rawls' whole argument for egalitarianism was that you're born with your brain and you're born with the environment that's around you, and that makes possible everything else that you do. And therefore, you did not achieve anything; you merely lucked out. And uh, it's your—he didn't say how people It's your brain and your environment uh, that get the credit. But they just, you know, that isn't you, and therefore you didn't build that. That is one hundred percent pure egalitarianism.
0: Right, right. Uh, and so, and so, what about the reaction to this
1: from no, the American he miss- public? He did not misspeak at all. He said a perfectly clear statement of his actual view.
0: Right, right. But then the reaction to it, the outpouring of outrage by the American public and saying, no, you know, we, the small businessmen, we did build that. You know, Romney has built part of his campaign on reacting to this and saying, yes, you did build that. You know, Romney doesn't go as far as saying that you should be proud of the fact that you built it, but he says, we should acknowledge you and we want to encourage you in building things, of course, you know, but uh, do you take the, the healthy reaction to you didn't build that as a sign of the American sense of life being alive and all?
1: No. No. Okay. no, I don't, because I don't think that's distinctively American. Uh, but even if, suppose it was, it's a good reaction. If somebody right. insults you, and insults what you've done with your life, and you get angry, that's an excellent reaction. If you can say what you believe. That makes that wrong. But if all you can say is, "Look, I work 24 hours a day," that is not uh, that is not any kind of defense. That is not a viewpoint. Is just a concrete? Uh, if you had the idea, this is an assault on on human achievement, uh, coming from you know uh, a, a source that wants to destroy uh, values because he rejects reality. You know, if there was any kind of response to that, then I would say, uh, in other words, if that's what the response came from, any form of that, then I would say it's a really good sign. But to me, it's just a sign of people are are, are hurt by saying a, 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 a mean uh, aspersion against them. So it's a good sign that they're hurt, but uh, I, I don't know what that uh, proves. Uh, But, you know, maybe this is not a good time for me to uh, talk because I just read uh, um, more polls uh, that now put Obama in the lead, even though narrowly. And in my opinion, if if someone could have the four years that Obama had and do what he did on every front – and nevertheless, over half the country uh, or the registered voters want to uh, retain him. And you put that together with uh, uh, the fact that something like half the country is on welfare or on uh, government uh, payments, and that every definable pressure group uh, seems to capitulate to uh, the Obama bribery. He offers, you know, one law to the Hispanics and, uh, you know, and something to the blacks and something to the Jews. Although the Jews he just lost by his uh, attitude to uh, refuse to meet their prime minister. Uh, Women are suddenly now, you know, he's going to woo them by free contraception. He's really right. buying out the public. And he seems to be succeeding to what I can tell. Well, so, I mean, uh, I,
0: I don't, I don't know if you remember it. That's
1: indifferent. That indifferent to uh, what has gone on. And, you know, that easily bought out. Uh, then, well, I, what, I don't know what to What does it mean to say they have a sense of life if they're indignant at what you said, but nevertheless, he's voted in?
0: Well, first of all, I'm not sure which poll you looked at. I've seen some of these polls in the last several days, and yes, they're showing Obama in the lead. But I heard that in the time of Carter-Reagan... The same thing in the months before, that the polls were showing that Carter was going to win, Carter was going to win, and then Reagan wins by a landslide. So I'm not sure if we can trust Let him. Let me just
1: tell you, I I hope, if I believed in God, I would pray that you are right. But there's just a little tiny difference between Reagan and Romney. Now, I don't, I'm not a big supporter of Reagan, but Reagan is a giant. Compared to Romney, who is beneath a pygmy, uh, he's nothing. He's deliberately, as a mode, a strategy of, of running for office, not want to offend anybody. That has stated publicly several times. Conservatives are begging him uh, to say something, to fight, to, to, you know, all he wants to say is he has a lot of experience. And he will fix everything. Well, yes, and by the way, he, he's thrown in. I'm not going to raise taxes on anybody but the rich. And I'm going to repeal Obamacare, but we're going to keep the provisions that if you have, uh, you can't be uh, kicked out of insurance if you have a prior uh, illness. And we'll keep the one about the kid can stay at home until he's 26. So, I mean, <laughs> this man is. Nothing turning into a Democrat before our eyes right now. What so, about
0: what about the fact I, that I mean,
1: let's just like, I don't think he can win the way he is. But if he wins, what is his administration going to do? Is he going to slow things down? He, he could be knocked over by anybody.
0: Right now, now, but as, as wimpy and uh, inconsequential as Romney is, and I agree with you there, isn't Obama? that much worse, if not more, than Carter?
1: Uh, all I can say is uh, Obama has certain things going for him, the major one of which is that he is black and that a great number of people in this country consider it a real virtue on their part to vote for a black. Okay. Yeah, I b- honestly believe that if he were identical in every way his looks, Everything, but he wasn't black. He would have been way down in the polls, way down. But uh, they have bought the idea that uh, it's a heroic achievement to keep a black in office, no matter what. And uh, uh, that's uh, that's the difference.
0: So, so here here's the question: If M2 is the big danger. Yeah. First, first of all, does Romney even represent an M2, or is he so inconsequential no. that he can't represent yeah. anything? And and then well, okay. Romney
1: is an, is a D1. Okay. There are no M1s anymore. <clears throat> the Romney is a D1. In other words, he's an advocate of a mixed economy. He wants to have some capitalism and some controls. And he he just struggles from crisis to crisis without any guiding principle.
0: So if, if people he, say...
1: As I show in the book, D1 moves gradually toward uh, D2. So right. Romney would be like a step back historically to, to before uh, Obama, but he would just move back to that. So.
0: So, but you, so you wouldn't see a vote if you go in the ballot box and, and click the Romney-Ryan option this November. That is not... A vote to push us toward them, too. In your mind,
1: let me put it this way: <clears throat> Romney is not religious. Uh, a vote for him is necessary because Obama will end the country in four years, and if there's to be any hope of uh, of survival, he has to be he has to be defeated. Romney himself will not institutionalize uh, religion, but he is going to give tremendous power to the religious uh, wing uh, of the Republicans because he's going to continue the status mess, the shambles, uh, uh, all the rest of it, and then when the next election comes, they're going to say, all right, you tried a moderate secular candidate, and, you know, you, uh, you wrecked everything. You've got to put in uh, someone, you know, the, uh, we represent. In other words, they're going to assert themselves, I think, after the moderate wing has his last uh, gas. I can't give the timing, but that is my view. So that in that sense, uh, 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 Romney, long range is, is helping the Republicans. But long range is too long now, Uh Right now, uh, I think we have to try to try to get four more years. I mean, four more years where there's still freedom of speech, and you don't have to be uh, tell uh, the president uh, anybody who disagrees with his views. You know about that uh, that website they have.
0: Attack Watch, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just unbelievable yeah, what's yeah. happened.
0: So I promise not to keep you going over an hour, so we're going to wrap up here pretty quick. I just have uh, one quick little question, because we have been doing an intervention series, as we call it, on my radio show, and we have been trying to convince people that they should not throw away their vote to Gary Johnson in this election, that it's essential to get Obama out. And one question that people have had is, well, are you endorsing Romney if you pull the (coughs) lever for him or whatever it is in November? It's not an endorsement, right?
1: You are endorsing four years of survival. If two people come at you, one is right in front of you with a cannon, and the other is five miles away with a, uh, a rifle running to get you, I would get rid of the cannon first if I could do so by stopping the other. I mean, they're both threats, but one is immediate. It's not an issue of endorsing. It's an issue of your if you have two destroyers after you, you have to get rid of the immediate one. And the fact that you do something to approve the other is irrelevant to endorsement. Right. You're, you're choosing between people who are going to destroy you.
0: Okay, great. Thank, thank you very much because this is a point I've been trying to make and I appreciate you helping me with that. Uh, uh, one quick question before we go. How has your book been doing? This is a abstract work of philosophy and I think I've heard you before say on your podcast that you didn't expect it to sell very well. How, how are you doing with it?
1: Well, I am truly amazed. Now, give you just one fact. <clears throat> Amazon, you probably know, has a list of all the books there are arranged according to how much they sell. Like the biggest seller is one, and I think the worst is one million. And they, uh, you know, uh, update it every hour. So, I mean, the number I give you may not be uh, fresh. Um, <clears throat> my understanding, which may be mistaken, is that if you can get into five digits, like for just 55, uh 55,000, uh, uh, you're doing okay. The publisher is satisfied. But believe it or not, with this technical book by an unknown author, today, are you ready for this? Okay. I was six. 53
0: 653 and just for the record of all books, I
1: mean to, to get into three digits uh for this kind of book is just impossible
0: that that is wonderful today just for the record we're recording this on September 12th so this is 8 days after the release of your book and you're at 653 in the rank on Amazon
1: Yeah, well, for this, for the one hour, who knows, they change it each hour. Yeah, it changes. But uh, I've been told that for this kind of book, that's really something.
0: So the publisher must be pleased.
1: (laughs) I guess so, yep.
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh, Well, congratulations. uh, I,
1: I really can't believe it, so.
0: I, I'll have one more question that I'm going to submit to your podcast. If people want to check out your weekly podcast, they go to peakoff.com. And, of course, there at peakoff.com, they can purchase. There's a link there to purchase The Dim Hypothesis, Why the Lights of the West Are Going Out. Uh, you can also find it and comment on this show at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Leonard, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. And I really appreciate it. It's been very helpful. And I wish you the best success with this book.
1: Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed being on. You're certainly a better interviewer than some of them.
0: I appreciate appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: (gasps)